Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode four of the SOB Sports Network. No, not son of a bitch. South Boys with your host, wrestling legend Mike Halick, formerly known as Mantar and Tanker the Truth Commission, with also your co-host, Paul New, Mr. Cannonball Grizzly, and WCW legend, the rap master PN News. Without further ado, here are your hosts. Mm. Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. What's up, my partner in crime, baby? What are you doing, man? Dude, it's, I tell you every time, man, I am living the dream, brother. Now, I just stay busy, man. I'm thinking about, I just had a conversation with my, uh, with my uh, daughter today. You know, you know what the kids are like today. Now they like to just type everything and they, you, you never speak anymore you just send messages uh, with your fingertips and stuff right. but in uh, over here we've been celebrating uh this week uh on monday was carnival you remember fashion like oh yeah they, yeah you know, dressed up in carnival stuff and so my uh my little grandson he went as and i know i don't look like i'm old enough to have a grandson <laughs> but i do dude hey hey so anyway, my little my little three year old grandson, he was dressed up as one of the Paw, Paw Patrol. I don't know if you know about. It. I'm sure you know Dubs. I mean, I'm sure that's that's you know that's your that's your lunchtime viewing, isn't it? Paw yeah, absolutely. Paw Patrol. But yeah. anyway, he was dressed up as one of the Paw Patrol, and she sent me the pictures, and I was just uh, I was really made up. It's always just great. I'm just I'm happy to be close over here in Europe uh, by them. I just wish I could still see him a little bit more. But first things first, man, how the hell are you doing down there in Florida? Can you get in the water? Are the kids trying to push you back into the water when you get back on the beach? Get him back in the water before he dies. Listen, that man, stuff with you when you're on the beach? The weather is beautiful here in sunny southwest Florida, Cape Coral to be exact. It's about 88 degrees, sunshine. Nice wind blowing, man. I'm looking out my patio window and nothing but sunshine and happiness, baby. You know, it just adds to the happiness and sunshine of my everyday life. You know, I thank God um, every day when I when I open up my eyes, man. Thanks for another chance to make a difference and, you know, try to be the best version of myself. And my life was just improving, improving by the minute. You know, we, we kicked off this... Uh, SOB Sports Podcast, finally, after six months of, uh, of working on things. And, you know, we got Tim Beal here helping us from Universal Talent Bookings. We got uh, Monty and the Pharaoh from the Monty and the Pharaoh show based on Long Island, New York. You know, we're on a platform of 700,000 people. And hopefully by, hopefully by the end of the summer, you know, we might, I'd like to pick up two or 300,000 listeners right out there and punch that number up to over a million listeners. And that's what the goal is. That's what we're shooting for, baby. And when we hit that goal, which isn't going to be long, we are going to set new goals here because us here at SOB Sports, we want to set the tone for the day. We want to make you smile. We want to make you laugh. We want to make you happy. We want you to be happy that you're here with us, spending time with us, soaking up all this classic information from two old school fat fucking wrestlers and hope you enjoy yourself while you can, man. Because you know what? We never know when God's going to punch our ticket. And when that happens, hey, you know, Mike? You're absolutely right. You know, Mike, I was just thinking about that kind of thing. And the great thing, the great thing about this is we are sharing our lives and, you know, the whole universe There's, you know, I, I listen to a lot of these podcasts where they talk about uh, energy and vibrations and everything like that and frequency and that how we're vibrating at a certain frequency. And actually there is a frequency for that good vibe. You know, that's why they call it a good vibe, right? Mm -hmm. There's a frequency for that. and we're coming to you with good vibe and we're bringing our happy frequency into these people day so whether they're coming home and they're tired and they just put on our podcast and they can have a laugh and a giggle 
they're going to have a good time. Maybe they're driving down the road and they get on YouTube and they go, hey, let's go listen to those two fat fuckers because they're pretty funny. You know, and uh, they just get on and they they, uh, they take the chance and they listen to us while they're driving down the road. They're certainly not going to fall asleep because we're definitely going to be talking about stuff that's pretty damn interesting, don't you think? Oh, absolutely, man. You know, um, I just want to be the best version of myself. I want to bring my A game every day because this, this is just like me being in the ring again. You know, I want to entertain the people the best way I fucking can. And I'm just happy now that I can sit in my easy boy, lazy boy, fat man's recliner and, and I can, I can live life, man. And um, the great thing about it is if I ever get bored, I can just entertain myself. So, you know, I, I think I'm a pretty funny guy, you know, I mean, I'm simply outstanding all the time. So, you know, if I could share that, man, it's a win-win for everybody. If you're smiling, I'm smiling. Like this is a PG-13. We don't want to know how you entertain yourself when nobody's around. But anyway, Tim, Tim, what do you got to say, man? Add your chance in, buddy. Thanks for being with us today. So first I want to say, I'll give a special shout out to my client, Michael Sequela, who's our distribution partner. He has a platform called Intuitive with uh, 700,000 subscribers. That allows us to bring in the whole 900,000 subscribers between his platform and Michael Monty Jr., Monty and the Pharaoh. But we're also going to be on about 50 other platforms. But I want to touch base upon something real quick, if I may. I kind of consider myself a wrestling historian, you know, and when you guys were in wrestling, it, wrestling was wrestling. It wasn't a soap opera. Wrestling was wrestling. Real men wrestled. And 30 years later, after you guys made your gimmick debut, PN News is still remembered very fondly. Mantar still remembered very fondly. I know most of these guys today in the business will not be remembered 30 years from now. So that's what I want to say. Like, what do you guys attribute your longevity to in professional wrestling? Because ratings, when you guys were in it, ratings were really off the charts. It was ratings like unbelievable ratings they've never had before in the history of viewership in professional wrestling. Today, Nobody cares about who the world champion is. They had to build up Roman Reigns, who, I mean, he's been champion for three years. Does anybody really care? I don't. I don't no. care about Roman Reigns. Uh, Too fucking long. They had to bring Cody Rogan, who was the son of Dusty Rhodes, to try to regenerate that interest because he comes from tradition, and that's Dusty Rhodes' son. So maybe we can sprinkle a little interest in this by – putting the title on Cody Rhodes, Dusty Rhodes' son, and that's like their desperation. That's their desperation attempt for trying to bring some interest into today's professional wrestling. The towel power, too sweet to be sour, the Dusty Rhodes, if you will. Yeah. You know, I totally agree as I'm choking on this fucking ice cube here. You know, I think that for sure... Roman Reigns has been the champion for too fucking long. You know, last Monday or last Sunday, they had a pay-per-view on Monday Night Raw where it was in Montreal, Canada. It was Sami Zayn, Zayn's hometown. And I don't know if any of you people have ever watched WWE or know who Sami Zayn is. But if not, you got to tune in. Because this fucking Sami Zayn, man, in my opinion, he's the hottest thing on fucking TV. Because... His job, what he what he strives to do, I read this, what he said that he strives to do every night when he's in the ring, he says, I want to have fun. And I want everybody around me to have fun. And I've seen some of his promos where they're in the middle of the ring doing an interview. And the shit that he says has the other three or four people in the ring breaking character and laughing and smiling their fucking ass off. I love Sami Zayn, baby. I love Sami Zayn. I think Vince Triple H dropped the ball when they wrestled in Montreal. In my opinion, they should have dropped the fucking belt to Sami Zayn, even if it was just for a, a day or a week. Roman Reigns wins the belt back, and then he drops it to fucking Cody in WrestleMania, right? Right? 
because that that makes Roman Reigns invincible. You know that that that, that makes him that makes or 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 that makes him beatable. You know they haven't they haven't shown that fucking that he could be beat because he's fucking beat Brock Lesnar in the last two or three times. Dave Russell, for fuck's sake! Now if you beat Brock Lesnar, you're doing something because Brock Lesnar is the fucking beast incarnate, right? He is the fucking mm-hmm. man, and. And they just keep pushing this fucking Roman Reigns and Roman Reigns, and they push it down people's throats so much that people are tired of seeing it. They're tired of seeing it. They want somebody else to champion. And I heard they were going to bring back the second belt, too. I don't know if that's true or not. But I think they should have put the fucking belt on Sammy, even if for a short time, win it back, drop it to Cody at fucking WrestleMania. Makes perfect sense you know to me. What? Well, you know what you know what I see as a major problem with these so-called professional storytellers is they don't understand that some okay what made what made Flair a tangible uh, title uh, title holder he was beatable right and that's the same with Nick Bockwinkle when he had uh, when he had the brain with him and stuff like that great technician Bockwinkle uh, great wrestler uh, Flair. Uh, but these guys were repeatable. You know, the heel, the heel should never be like a champion should never dominate and, and just to dominate. There needs to be, he needs to be beatable so that people can get behind the baby face and in, in order in order for if, if nobody believes that Reigns is gonna drop the title, if he's been it so long that nobody cares if he drops the title or he gives not. A shit. Yeah, who gives a shit? It just doesn't make any sense. But the, the heel's mm-hmm. gotta be beatable. I love that. And then the baby face is always chasing the title, always chasing the title. And then when they do get it, baby face gets it for a short run. And then you drop that back to a heel. That's what television, that's what television uh, allows you to do. Now, back in the day when we were in WCW, because I want to relate it, it was a different thing. You were, you didn't have any television. So it was much better to have the baby face hold the belt. And then you would bring in top stars from around the world to wrestle them whether it was uh, whether it was uh, Vader or whether it was uh, Andre the Giant or Dick Murdoch or or Nick Bockwinkel or something the Auto or Rambo for the championship it was always great to have that belt on a baby face because because you were going to get heat off that heel no matter what because he wasn't there and Auto had been in the tournament the whole time or the baby face had been there so you build him up and then the thing about Auto Otto used to make himself beatable. I beat Otto a couple times in the tournament, or Mike would beat Otto a couple times in the tournament. But always before that championship, Otto would get that I'm against it. He'd get that fucking match back on us, and it would set him up, and he'd, he'd, he'd be on a he'd be on an upswing uh, going into that title match, the end of the you know at, at the last night of the tournament and stuff like that. And 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 people, I think the psychology of wrestling has been thrown out the window. Because everybody thinks that Hollywood writers are good. Hollywood writers are not good. Has anybody seen what's coming out of Hollywood lately? It's crap. You know what I mean? These people have forgotten how to tell a story. You want to see a good story? You know who tells good stories? Stallone tells the stories. He sells simple stories, but anything he produces is a good story. Mel Gibson tells a great story. They might not like him, but he tells a hell of a story. He tells a hell of a better story than Tarantino, and I've got nothing against Tarantino, but he's all blood and gore, man. But if you want to see a story, go watch a Mel Gibson, Mel Gibson film. You build them, you build that baby face up, or if you're a big man like me and Mike, you build the heat, the, the you build the, the yourself up as a big man. But at the, at that point, you take your bump at the right time. The people in that arena are gonna go fucking nuts, and that's the thing. Storytelling is failing. In the industry, and no, there are very few people that are currently wrestling at the top of the, at the top of the industry that actually know how to tell a proper story. And that's no disrespect to these guys; it's just that they've never learned. They're tremendous athletes. You know, they work harder at being an athlete than a lot of us did back in the day. But they just they lack the they lack the ability to tell a tell an interesting story. And as far as I agree with what Mike said about putting the belt on that kid, right? But I also I'm I'm kind of got a uh, 
I myself have kind of got a hard on for a couple of European guys, and they're they're small, except for one of them is about six four, and we're talking about Imperium, and I'm talking to you about uh, Gunter. I put him under my wing a little bit when because he, he comes out of Austria. He was trained by Michael Kovac and those guys, and then Ludwig Kaiser, who's actually who's actually Mike knows him too. Ale, Axel Dieter did. And Axel Dieter, you know, I mean, I, I spent time with Axel. I mean, I, I knew, I knew, uh, I knew Ludwig when he was just a baby. I mean, he was literally in a camper, as in Hanover, when he was just a, you know, just out of instilling diapers. And and uh, kid out of Italy, Adrian. He's, I mean, he's super. These guys are super talented. They're just like for me, for me and my money, they're just about 25, 30 pounds too light. And then you got Gunter who. He's dropped a lot of weight, but he's 6'4", and the potential he had. But me and Finley uh, put a lot of value in, in, in Gunter. He was known as Big Walter at the time, and I liked him. And I just told I told all three of them, I said, when they you know, were going to next NXT and stuff like that, I said, whatever you do, don't mention my name. It'll ruin your career. <laughs> <laughs> no shit, bro. We well, actually want to say I want to secondhand what you said, though, Paul, because I work in Hollywood and I'm a talent manager and film producer, and there is no more creativity in Hollywood anymore. It's going back to the old school remakes, 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 going back to the what they thought would make them the most money instead of being creative and having creative writers come in to create fresh and original ideas. And Roman Reigns, man, is like a prime example of nepotism because he's The Rock's cousin. Uh, his father is Afa Afa and Sika, the Wild Samoans, and instead of giving the title to Sami Zayn, which they should have done, even as a temporary title holder, they're trying to build somebody along the way got a heart on for Roman Reigns, probably Triple H or Vince McMahon or maybe Stephanie, maybe they had a trio, a menage a trois. Um, they're trying to build him up like uh, Andre the Giant, or, uh, a fucking um, champion like Hulk Hogan. And nobody cares about him, but they thought instead of giving the title to Sami Zayn, they would build it up crescendo to a pop when Cody Rose won the title. It would be something spectacular because nobody's been able to touch Roman Reigns. But I'm agreeing with uh, with Mike. I think they dropped the ball. They should have gave the title to uh, Sami Zayn. I'd rather see Sami Zayn work Cody Rhodes in WrestleMania than Roman Reigns, quite honestly. Yeah, I, 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 it could probably be a better match without a question of doubt. I did – I see uh, – I was in uh, – this was uh, 2016, my last year in the business, and uh, we were at Butler's Holiday Camp in England in Minehead, and the WWE ran a show down there, and we were doing our, our regular camp shows as well. Um, and and uh, they had, a, you know, they had three, 4,000 people in the big tent there down in, uh, down in the uh, holiday camp, and Reigns was on top, and I, I seen him have a good match. You know, there's no question the match was decent. It was, it was interesting. You know, the fans were into it and everything. Um, but here we are five years later, and the guy's still still on top and, and you know, even more so than there. And without any – I mean, are we failing? Okay, are we failing with competition? Is there just so little talent out there that you have to leave it on him? Uh, I mean, what, what, what does the talent field look like in the industry today? This is something – I mean, these, these are – these are questions I'll get to answer myself maybe later on as I start follow wrestling again. Because, valid questions. They're valid questions. Yeah, yeah, because mm-hmm. because these, these these questions need need to be answered because there's some there's obviously something missing. And and as far as as far as why nobody cares, another question that you have to be open to is that another prospect is that um, wrestling is too overexposed, and that's why nobody cares. You can get it on your phone. You can get it everywhere, and everybody, you know, it just, yeah, it's it's like milk toast now. It's not, it's not the same as it was, man. It's WWE, WWE has seven hours, seven hours of programming every fucking week. Give me a break. If that's not well, oversaturation. I don't know what is. I mean, what the fuck are, are they trying to kill the business or are they trying to build up the fucking business? Because I was always told when I first stepped the fucking foot in the ring that less is more. 
Okay. Yeah. I, that was the yeah. first fucking thing I was taught was less was more. And they are just and nobody driving. did less than you, Doug. Nobody did less than you. You know what, man? When I was in Cleveland up watching the product, WF, they would take like three or four months to build a game, an angle. You know, um, there was four pay-per-views a year, four main pay-per-views a year. Yeah. Three or four months to build up to a main event. Now they just give it away and give it away, give it away, there's give a it fucking, away. You know? There's a fucking pay-per-view every month. Before pay-per-views, before pay-per-views, they used to drag shit out for like a year. I mean, the people would be, oh, they'd just be so they just begging for it, man. And then when it finally happened, dude, mm -hmm. I mean, people would be having orgasms all over the arena, man. It was, it, I mean, that's the stories and the stories. And, and you know it's, it's a it's not a, it's not a fucking sprint. It's a marathon. Those days, we those days that. are long gone. Those days are long. Well, the best gone, story friend. that I've witnessed in my lifetime in professional wrestling, storyline-wise, not not the best work by any stretch of the imagination, but best storyline-wise was Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. That stretched out for a while. They build that up. Nobody thought Andre would take the title from Hogan. I was there in the main event in Market Square Arena, February 1988. The first main wrestling program on national television in 40 years. Oh my God. They had like a 9.0 rating Hulk Hogan against Andre, the giant with the double referee angle. Andre beats Hogan for the title and gives it to T Ted DiBiase, the million dollar man. I was actually in the arena live watching that unfold. You don't get things like that anymore, man. That that's a lost art in wrestling. Yeah, you know, but you know, you know what, you know what really draws in wrestling, and this is when you're doing interviews and stuff like that. And I learned this from day one when I was standing there doing interviews at AWA for Vergani and stuff like that when I first broke in. And Larry Zabisco, he he summed it up. He said, "Current affairs draw." So whatever you do, whenever you're doing it, get into the current affairs. That's like that belly's going to get you that we talked about the other episode, where we were talking about bellies. It was a current event. It was easy to make something happen. And I remember Larry Zabisco, he dropped a line about the Supreme Court claiming that women were better than men, how right he was um, all these years later, but he was just going through a divorce at the time, and he went on the Supreme Court, and, and dude, it was current event. Uh, when we were dealing with apartheid, Zabisco and that stuff, that shit, or not Zabisco, but Colonel De Beers, that shit was, you know, that was current event. So it was something going on, man. And uh, let me tell you something about Colonel De Beers. I mean, I'm sure you remember from AWA, but mm -hmm. Michael know the guy that he stole the gimmick from. The guy was named Colonel Brody over in, uh, yeah. he, he worked in uh, Germany, South Africa, Colonel Gimmick and stuff like that. And I used to wind Colonel Brody up real bad because I used to say, you know what, you know, Ed Lasowski, Colonel De Beers does this and this and this. And Oh, you could just see Colonel, just, his ears would get red. He'd just get hot because he knew that he, knew that he stole the gimmick from him. So, you know, yeah, and everything that's been ever done has been done before. Yeah, you know, Tim mentioned um, the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. And something you don't know, Tim, and uh, I know the people out there don't know, is uh, Ted DiBiase grew up in South Omaha, Nebraska, where I grew up. Same, same city, same town. So the Million Dollar Mad Ted is an SOB as well. And he's also a part of the, the Nebraska Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame with Paul and myself. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and so Ted's a, Ted's a great guy. You know, he's from a wrestling family. His dad was a wrestler. Um, his mom was a wrestler. You know, and 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 he picked it up. Well, had, well. had had a great had a great had a great run in the WWE. You know, and and he's still making money in conventions and signing autographs and public speaking. You know, so I mean, professional wrestling has opened up a lot of doors for everyone who is involved. And you know, if it wasn't for professional wrestling, I wouldn't be here today. You know, and without the fans, I wouldn't be here today. I mean, there's some fucking reason why people are still talking about Mantar 28 fucking years later. And whatever the reason is, it was something that I did. 
because that was me. That was my character. They gave me a fucking fucked up, stupid, shitty ass gimmick that a guy wore a fucking bullhead that looked like Bessie the cow. And I had to make a uh, chicken salad out of chicken shit. And it wasn't easy on a nightly basis. Trust me, you know, but if they remember Mantar for that fucking bullhead that looked like Bessie the cow, perfect. I'm in. If they remember Mantar for the way he used to belly-to-belly suplex motherfuckers in the next week, perfect. If they remembered Mantar because of, perfect. I don't give a fuck how they remember Mike Halleck Mantar as long as they remember me. And so, you know know what, Mike, Mike, you know what? what? And that's exactly what they've said in the past. They've always said that. He said, it's when they stop talking about you that's when you need to worry. And that's one of the, those are, these are all statements I heard real early on in my career. He says, it doesn't matter if you're talking about you, it's when they stop talking about you. Yeah. That's when you need to worry. That's when your number's yeah. up, man. And they've been talking about the both of us for, for ages and stuff like that. And for whatever reason, a lot of it's for the wrong reason. But you know what? They're still talking about us. That makes us relevant. And that makes the show relevant. Yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, look at the actually both came from an amateur background and you guys could handle yourselves in and out of the ring. And they had a lot of the top guys in your era were like you guys They could handle themselves in and out of the ring. And today you have a lot of people in the wrestling business that can handle themselves out of the ring, which is really exposed to business. Yeah. And you know, not only that, Tim, but they can't wrestle their fucking way out of a paper sack. They don't know a wristwatch from a wristwatch. If I said to the guy, fireman carry me, He's going to say, what the fuck did you just say? Fireman's carry, what the fuck is that? You know? And, you know, it's just too much high flying. Nothing makes fucking sense. Even, you know, mm-hmm. you might you might pin me tomorrow, and tomorrow night I might fucking pin the champ. What the fuck is this, does that make? Who, you know, they just do shit just to fucking do it, you know? And, yeah, but, you know, I mean, that's the crazy thing about it. And, I mean, there's just there's so much that's, that's changed in the industry itself. Um, and you know, and, and the guys, like you said, a lot of those guys, you know what, I've never won every fight that I've ever been in. I, you know, and I've been in more street, but I've been in more street fights than 90% of the people I know, probably even more than Mike, because I always, I got a target on back, man. I've, you know, I've, you know, I've, I put, I put professional boxers careers, uh, at an end. You know what I mean? It's not something I'm proud of, but he tagged me, you know what I mean? He attacked me and I, you know, I, I broke his face. You know what I mean? The guy, the guy, you know, broke, broke both of his cheeks and his nose, you know. So, um, not not something I'm really proud of. But we can protect ourselves. We can protect our business. We were agents of chaos. We were agents of of protecting an industry. And there's nobody left to protect that industry because most of these, as you said, most of these guys cannot fight their way out of a a, a paper bag, you know, a wet one so, like that. You know? So, on that note. I want to get off the subject of professional wrestling and I want to talk some football. I want to talk Super Bowl. So did you guys watch the Super Bowl? Yes, we did. I did. Oh, I got to, I, I get to watch it. I watched all the highlights of it. Uh, I was, so I work, I work from, you know, you know me, I, I, I'm up out of the house at five o'clock in the morning. So I couldn't watch it, but I did watch it after the fact. And I mean, it was good. Good for the industry. I, I, the, the 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 Super Bowl was very good for the for the NFL. Well, you know, I want to talk about the halftime show, Rihanna. You know, because she sold fucking more tickets to the halftime show than the Super Bowl did to the fucking Super Bowl. You know, I think she did a great job of performing. She's fucking eight or nine months pregnant. She was definitely showing. Um, But the interesting thing about Rihanna in the halftime show is that she received over 103 FCC viewer complaints about sexuality. And it all had to stem from her grabbing her crotch. Now, personally, I don't think there's nothing wrong with her grabbing her crotch because she doesn't have a fucking penis. 
right? And so I don't know what she, if she's trying to fill the gap or what she's trying to fucking do there, but I don't really care. I'm tuned into her singing ability and her entertaining me. And as far as that shit, I think she did a fucking great job. I think it was the best Super Bowl halftime show in a long, long time. And I was impressed by the whole fucking deal, man. They suspended her ass in fucking midair on like a 20 by 20 fucking platform that was held up with chains. And they chained her ass to the fucking back of the platform. So if the platform starts shaking in the wind, she wouldn't fucking do a back fucking flip off the platform. And I thought she did fucking great. I'm thinking to myself, fuck me. I'm afraid of heights. There ain't no way in fucking hell that if you asked me to do that shit, I would have ever fucking agreed because that shit is fucking dangerous. You know? But the game, the game was great. Philadelphia jumped out there um, right away with the instant fucking lead. They had Kansas City on the fucking ropes. Kansas City was trailing by 10 points, I think, at the half, 17 to 7 or some shit like that. And then in the second half, brother, Patrick Mahomes showed why he is the MV fucking P. He came out there and just picked everybody apart, man. And this guy just had a high, high ankle sprain, a serious high ankle sprain, two weeks previous in the championship game. And so he's playing fucking injured. I guarantee you he got a fucking injection before that game. But he came out and had a great game in the second half. And, you know, there's a lot of controversy about the finish of the Super Bowl because there was that infamous holding call by the Eagles who put um, Harrison Butker and the Kansas City Chiefs in a position to win that game with the last second field goal, you know. And, and Harrison Butker kicked that fucking field goal right through the uprights and Kansas City wins 38-35. But what a fucking game because at the, in the fourth quarter, Kansas City had like a 10-point lead. And then Philadelphia came back and fucking tied it. And then Kansas City got the ball with a short time remaining. They marched all the way down the field and got into field goal range by that fucking bullshit phantom call. And all the Eagles fans, all the people that have seen it on TV said, oh, that was no fucking holding call. And the guy that the actual holding call was on, he admitted, yeah, I was fucking holding it. Right? They no, just I, had I, I, no, Go ahead. Go ahead. Those well, kind of calls. No, 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 it was it was really cool, man. I mean, I, I watched the highlights of the game. I think both quarter guy quarterbacks played lights out. You know what I mean? Except for uh, uh, getting sacked a couple times. But I mean, you look at you look at Mahomes with that ankle and not even taking a sack, not throwing an interception, managing the game really well, making that scramble and 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 getting those extra yards. Um, I think the okay. The, the, the call on the cornerback doing the holding, James, James Bradbury, right? So he gets he gets a call, and he admits they're holding on to him. But the thing is, it was a holding call. There's, I, I, I don't question that. But the thing is, is you look at – when you look at the blocking, because it was in that – it was right in that in that zone where he was doing the – he'd given him the push-off and everything like that. Yeah, and it was in that three-yard zone. Receiver. Yeah, exactly. So the receiver made a move and did a turn. And he did have a hold of him right there just a bit. And it was just enough. It was just enough. But, I mean, it was so minute. That might not have been called every time. But, I, yes, you know, sure. but, 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 but you can't blame the referee for calling it. But at the same time, it's disappointing because now it's not, it's not the Chiefs. It looks like, okay, do you say, is it the Chiefs winning the game or did they win the game because – the referee Referees. put his hands to give it to, to 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 call make that call, and I want yeah. the guys to win or lose the game on their merits, and not a referee making the decision well, for them. That's and that's the thing. thing. After after that happened, after that happened, a lot of people said that's why I don't like watching the NFL because it's fucking fixed, right? And and which is a, a good argument on the, in their defense. It's a great fucking argument because sometimes. I really believe that the NFL is fixed because the, the sports book, the line makers will put on a line. And by the time the game is over, the fucking game lands right on the number as far as points. 
and then it lands right on the number or within one point or two of the over and under. How the fuck do they do they know that shit? It's like they know what the okay. late before the game. Okay, okay, but there's a lot of moving pieces there, Chubbs, right? So if if if, if the NFL is fixed, and I'm not saying whether it is or not, there's so many moving pieces. I mean, there are a few, couple of key personnel that all they got to know is they'd have to know, boom. But that there's just there's a, still a lot of moving pieces there uh, for for that to work out. And if it is fixed, where is it fixed? Is it fixed? Is it fixed in the NFL headquarters? Is it fixed in the front offices? Um, or you know, or if it is fixed, smaller? if it, if it is fixed, I think it starts at the fucking top, right? Because it has to be. The, the, those people have to be all in for that to fucking for the fix to go down, right? So that's why I'm thinking that I don't think the NFL is fixed. I think it just happened to be a, a call that went in the Chiefs' favor, right? Because there were a bunch of bullshit fucking calls in the game, in my opinion, you know. And you know the Chiefs fans are known for being the rowdiest, most disrespectful, drunken fucking fans on the planet. You know, I've been to a few Chiefs games. I've, I've been to the cheap couple of Chiefs games living in Omaha two and a half hours away, and them fucking fans are nuts down there. And, you know, the Chiefs, they showed in the Super Bowl celebration in the parade after, after the game, the Chiefs showed absolutely no class whatsoever, which I was really disappointed in because their behavior was unacceptable. They were all drunk off their fucking ass in the Super Bowl celebration in the parade. They were fucking hammered. And, you know, there's been a lot of these discussions. Are you talking about fans or players? No, the players. The players were fucking drunk. Um, After the post-Super Bowl in the uh, celebration parade in Kansas City, when they drive down. Yeah, you were talking about the fans. That's why I asked. Yeah, no, it was the players. And so not only are the fucking fans drunk and fucking idiots, but the players were acting like drunken fucking idiots, you know? And 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 a little tidbit that I that I found out in doing my research that I found out that I found out was very interesting. And you like this, Paul. Um, Harrison Butker, the the player who kicked the game-winning field goal for the Kansas City Chiefs, while all his other teammates took their families to Disney World and to the Bahamas and Costa Rica, went to the Big Easy and partying. This fucking Harrison Butker is a devoted Catholic and he checks himself in to St. Michael's Abbey in Los Angeles to have a uh, a, a prayer. He, he sets himself into isolation for being thankful especially now with the start of Lance, he's there praying the whole time for the next 40 days until Jesus is born again, right? And so it's, it's crazy that he brings his gratefulness and his religion into his sports. Everybody else is out celebrating, getting drunk, traveling the world, taking their family, partying. This guy is going and, and engulfing himself with constant prayer and thanking wow, the Lord. get hammered like Tim Tebow back in the day, right? But I mean, that, yeah. that, he's still a man. God bless him. You know what I mean? We're, we both grew up Catholic, Mike, uh, Catholic social service had, had a lot to do with where we ended up in our lifetime, both of us being adopted. And uh, so, I mean, I see a lot of value from the Catholic Church. I'm not, I don't agree 100% with what the Catholic Church does. But I still consider myself Catholic. I'm good with that, and I it's neat that he celebrates his faith after such a you know he gives glory to to God for actually winning that Super Bowl. I yes, mean, that's, that's amazing. That's that's yes. That's instead that's of beautiful. instead so, of going, if, if, if we were doing that kind of shit, if everybody was doing that kind of stuff, uh, the world would be a completely different place, man, wouldn't it? Yeah, no shit. I mean that that just shows the kind of character. And the kind of devotion he has in his heart and his soul um, to his religion and, and, and to God, right? And my personal opinion on that is I don't give a shit what religion you are as long as you believe in God, right? And, uh, and uh, that's, that's what's important, you know? And I, I, I talk to God 
shit, I'll be driving down the street and I'll say, thank you, God, for all these blessings. I'll be at the gym. Thank you, God, for letting me be here today. You know, just stupid shit, just talking to myself. Mike, who are you talking to? God. You know, God. It's pretty fucking simple, you know, but um, God is great. Nothing wrong with that. We, we, no, there, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody, everybody that does believe celebrates in their own way. And I just think it's a, it's a, that's a fine example of a human being. I mean, I grew up in, in a very strong Catholic family. I went to a Catholic school. Uh, this, this Catholic school, the institution, Cedar Catholic in Hardington, Nebraska, was a major influence on me. Uh, the, the students, the teachers. I mean, I mean, Tim, you've probably never been to Nebraska because whoever goes there, right? There's just under 2 million people living in the whole state. But I'll tell you what, there are a lot of God-fearing people. And they have an ethic there in the United States. It kind of fell short on me and Chubbs a little bit. But these people are the <laughs> hardest working. These people are the hardest working people on the planet. They just they they get up, they eat, they, they, they get up, they have breakfast, they have their coffee, they go out in the field, they work for 12, 14 hours, they come home, they eat dinner, they sleep, they go to go to bed, and then in between. When the weather's bad or something like that, they got to worry about the crops. They got to worry about the cattle, um, and and they feed the world. You know what I mean? They they feed the United yeah. States. That's for sure. And and the midwestern midwestern people. You know what they call people from Nebraska back in the day? And what the original name of the Nebraska Cornhuskers was was the bug eaters. Was the, the bug, bug eaters because that's what it was, dude. You you were picking bugs out of your teeth because that's the way it was back in the day. You, you know we were sod busters. You know, they, they built they built their houses out of sod, trying to live on a prairie where there's no trees and the winds are blowing like a son of a bitch. Um, it's, it was an unbelievable life. It was a hard, one of the hardest life. And my parents and their parents before them, they instilled like a, a, thing, a backbone. And these people, and that's why Nebraska was hard back in those days, uh, when in the 90s, 70s, 80s, 90s, why they were such a good team, because the backbone of the team was Nebraska kids, the walk-ons and stuff like that. And these guys all worked hard. They might not have been five-star, what you call a five-star player today, but they made up for not being a five-star with their ethics of working. And that's and, and I'm huh. you know and I'm convinced that Nebraska could be back at that, but that's another that's another podcast altogether. Well hold on. Okay. Well I'm glad you brought up um Nebraska and Nebraska old school football. Because that's how I want to end this fourth episode is talking Husker football. Um, there's a lot of news in, in Nebraska and going throughout the state about our new head coach, Matt Rule. Uh, I think he coached the uh, Carolina Panthers um, previously. Um, in my opinion, I think this was a fantastic fucking move. I mean, Nebraska was – so fucking tired of Scott Frost's drunken, again, drunken fucking antics, man. Here's a guy who had a $25 million fucking contract, had a job for a lifetime, and he's out there fucking a freshman in, in, in college, getting her pregnant. His wife gets pissed off, gets wind of it, moves back to fucking Florida, and, you know, he, he shows up uh, drunk, and trying to bring his friends into fucking uh, practice and in the training room and, you know, just interrupting shit for other fucking people and just acting like a total fucking jackass. And I'm glad, I'm glad that they got rid of him, but Nebraska, they, they only had to wait. This is the true story. All they had to do was wait two more weeks until Scott Frost got to a certain date in his contract and they would have never had to pay him the extra 10 or 15 million. They said, fuck you, Scott Frost. We're firing your ass today. And we're going to just give you all that money for free because we're tired of having you around. You're putting a black fucking eye on this program. And you know what? Nebraska's done that quite a lot in the last 10 or 15 years. You know, it's been a real struggle for Nebraska to get back to their mid 90s glory days, national title days in the 1970s. You know, it's been a fucking hard road to tow lately. And so Nebraska's been famous for this, but I really thought that they really um, were finally catching on to say, we need to fucking put this stopgap on this fucking leak right now 
because it's going to just fucking flood us and kill us. And so they didn't mind paying the money. They hired Matt Rule. They threw a bunch of money at him. He brought a lot of people back in, his own people. And you know what? With this, uh, with this portal going on in college football right now where everybody's in charge of their own likeness and, and their own money, which I think is great, but these college athletes are, are going to make some money and be able to support themselves in college because that's some of the toughest times that you know a person goes through in college and suffering because they're always fucking broke. Um, I think that's great. But Nebraska has landed a five-star quarterback recruit named Dylan Rayola. And the Rayola name might sound familiar to all you college football fans because his father was a former Husker All-American center, Dominic Rayola, that played 14 seasons. All of his NFL career, he played with the Detroit Lions. And this kid is supposed to be the nuts. He's the number one player in the college football draft. And so far, this kid has backed out of he backed out of his Ohio State deal. And so far, he's he's pretty about 85, 90% locked into Nebraska. And I hope that Nebraska lands this fucker because this is going to turn our program around. This new coach, right. this new quarterback, is just what we need. I've got an update on that as well, Mike. Um, turns out that he was supposed to – okay, he was – okay, Dylan, Dylan Riola was supposed to visit uh, Lincoln in March, right? And he was going to – he was on the 25th of March. He was supposed to come in, visit, visit the, the Huskers during spring ball practice, and he was going to – the week before, he was be down in Georgia. They've canceled. They've canceled their trip to Georgia. Georgia's looking at other quarterbacks anyway. You can't put all your eggs in one basket anyway. But Georgia's looking at other quarterbacks. So what's happened is uh, they've canceled that to Georgia. And at the same time, he's going to supposed to be there in March. But guess who's in Lincoln this weekend? Who? Oh. Ellen Royola and the whole family are in Lincoln right now. Oh, that's fucking fantastic. Yeah. Man. Okay. And, and, and on top of that, Nebraska Cornhuskers this last week have signed a four star athlete class of 24, the same class he would be in. He's a, this kid, this kid's out of Texas, right? And he's a, he's at a consolidated school in Texas. And this kid has run multiple TDs back from, from uh, kickoffs and punt returns. I'm, I'm not talking. Five, I'm not talking one or two. I'm talking multiple. We're talking six or seven, right? Oh. The guy is a natural punt and kickoff returner, and the kid's name is Roger Grandy, and he's uh, already committed to the University of Nebraska for Class 24. He'll be on the field right away the first year on special teams, and they're talking about putting him in probably at safety. And he's an athlete. He's Matt Rule's kind of guy because Matt Rule – likes to bring in these this speed he's he's locked yep. in in 23 class he's got four players that in, in three of them the four players that run the 100 100 yard dash in under 10 five and three wow. of these guys are going to be running track for the university of nebraska and scoring points and so that's, that's it. i mean that's it's, it's huge and so this kid coming in and if Rio, if we actually get riola if nebraska gets riola it's going to be a huge thing because it's going to start an avalanche. Other thing, we're going to get top linemen and stuff like that. Because let's face it, that's where we've been struggling. Our offensive defensive line hasn't been what it's been in the past. We're not the pipeline we were. We're not the black shirts we used to be. But I like what Matt Rule is doing with the speed and everything like that. All these coaches, I mean, they're doing coach speak right now, but he's showing up at high school girls basketball games. He's showing up at tennis games. Uh, he's supporting the Huskers in everything they do. And I wanted to touch on one other thing because it yes. has to do with the stadium. One other thing that has to do with the stadium, it has to do with Husker volleyball. Real Husker quick. Volleyball, and then I'm, and then I'm going to finish. Husker volleyball is planning on having a game against UNO on the 30th, on the right before the Minnesota game in Memorial stadium. And they're going to draw about 50,000 people to watch a volleyball game. But that, anyway, that's, that's all I want to get in. And I, I, I love talking about the Huskers. You know me. I love it. 
And so we're, we're running out of time. I just want to say thanks again for listening, everybody. You guys are wonderful. Without you, we can't produce this kind of a show. Thank you very much for being a part of our show. We making us making you happy makes us happy. So we'll see you on the next program. Mike? Well, I just want to I just want to touch on one thing that you said about the women's volleyball for Nebraska having that match in Memorial Stadium. That will give Nebraska the nation's largest crowd in a volleyball match in history. And Nebraska has always had a top-notch volleyball team. And I think just like the football program is coming up, the volleyball program is is strong too. So I think we're going to look at some good things coming up from uh, Nebraska uh, sports for sure. Really excited about the season. And you know what? On that note, everybody, you know what time it is. Well, one thing to say, 20 seconds or less. So I got one thing to say about what you guys have talked about today. And that is, I think everything to do with the NFL Super Bowl is based on brand sponsorship and advertisements. And whoever brings the most money through branding and sponsorship is going to win the Super Bowl every time. And I also think that the FCC had more issues with Rihanna's performance than Janet Jackson's nipple slip. And the last thing I'm going to say is my client, Fred Williamson, who taught me the business of film and television, played in Super Bowl one for the Kansas City Chiefs as a defensive back in 1967, back when they played for the love of the game, not the money, because he played seven years in the NFL, actually AFL, American Football League, and the most money he ever made in one season was $13,000. Now with that, I give it to Mike Halick. Hey, yeah, so wait a minute. Wait a minute. Say, just before that, Mike, just to say to that, you're right, and there are no coincidences. This shit happens for a reason. Go on, Mike. Yep. So, everybody, you all know what time it is. It's time for the SOB sports motto of the show. You only die once, but you live every fucking day. Ooh. Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo.